The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Hey, everyone. This is Andy. Just a heads up that in this podcast, there are discussions of rape, suicide, and it may not be appropriate for all audiences. All right. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch. And to my left is my wife, Holly. Hello. And it's not a holiday edition. Nope. How about that? Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. Ba, 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 <laughs> Jerry the Annihilator Lewis. Hello. Across the church, across Berean Bible Church, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. And special guest today, an alternate sitting in, Rick Eye Candy Carter. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry about that, Billy. Just call me a whatchamacallit. What candy are you? What? Just call me a whatchamacallit. Yeah. Oh, wow. You never know what's inside. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we are at Berean Bible Church. Again, this is the second time this year. It's pretty cool. They allowed us to come back, so that's nice. (laughs) But we have a very special guest, somebody that I just recently got to get to know. Um, She's been praying for me, actually, very heavily, and we've been talking a lot on the phone and via text. Today, we have Karen Rogers on the show. Welcome, Karen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really blessed to be part of your family and on this Barosa Berea, which God has his hand on, and he's going to do mighty things through this podcast and through you and your obedience and faith to him. And I just give him all the glory. And I thank David Curtis for giving us his place here to have everybody come and listen and be blessed with fellowship. And I just give God all the glory. Yeah. um, Which is something you say to me constantly, all the time. Yeah, God gets the you. glory, and yes. just, may this podcast just bless him and honor the people that listen. And I just pray that my testimony would reach the people that need to hear it, that need to grow close to God and be saved out of things like alcoholism and sexual abuse as a child, and that people would be delivered because God can do anything, and He is the great deliverer and the great healer. And so if my testimony can reach somebody out there, I just would be so honored. And thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to read some things. I actually got into your book a little bit last night because I was trying to be prepared for today. And inside her book, it's called Racing With My Shadow, The Compelling True Story of America's First Leading Female Jockey, which is so cool because I was really into horse racing, you know, coming up. And so I found out, I was like, wait, you were like a legit jockey and you were on Donahue and you were on Letterman and you were on Good Morning America and you're like all kinds. I was like, who is this person? It's so cool. So this is some of the stuff that I read inside the book. This is what people said, for instance, at a parade magazine on June 28th of 1981, they can't conceive that a girl can come to a man's game and be one of the top. That was Angel Cordero Jr. that said that. He's a Hall of Fame jockey. Also, my long shot choice for the next woman star, jockey Karen Rogers, 17, 17 years old when he says this, probably the best girl rider ever and one of the best kids of either sex since the record rookie year of Steve Cawthon. Wow. And I know who Steve Cawthon is because he wrote Affirmed and won the Triple Crown. 
Yes, he was my hero. And yeah. in fact, he was big in New York when he was 16, 17, and that was always my goal to be like Steve. Yeah, I mean, and I learned what a bug was uh, that out of this book, but it says here, Karen can come back and tell me things about the mounts I put her on, and a lot of bug boys can't do that. So I was like, when I first read it, I was like, what is that, bug boys? She does the right thing to, she won't offer an opinion, she'll wait for me to ask, smart little lady, J.J. Krupe, a leading New Jersey trainer. So what's a bug? Tell us what a bug is real quick. Well, when you start riding, you get an apprentice allowance, and they call it a bug because it's an asterisk by your name in the program. And when you start, you get three asterisks, which is a 10-pound bug, which means if a horse normally carries 120 pounds, if a, if a trainer puts the bug rider on the apprentice on, they get 10 pounds off their horse. So that's like an advantage. And after you win five races, your official bug year starts. So you have that apprentice allowance for a year from your fifth winner, mm -hmm. and your bug goes down to seven pounds, which is two stars. And you have that till your 35th winner. And then after your 35th winner, you go down to five pound bug, one star, and you have that for that whole year. And yeah. in my case, I got hurt midway through my, I broke my back first time midway through my bug year. So when I came back, I had an extension of the rest of the year, which mm -hmm. helped me get going. Because when you have the bug, the trainers will use you more because you have, they get the weight allowance. And if you're a good rider and a bug, then they really want to use you. Which I didn't even have, I, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like I didn't know that they, that there were advantages, kind of like in golf with a handicap or, you know, I, I had no clue. And so when I started reading, when I first read that bug, I was like, what, what does that mean? And then I got into the book and I was like, oh, the asterisk looks like a bug right. in and, the book. That's and what it was. And your first year, like after you lose the bug, that's the big test. A lot of people just go by the wayside and they don't have a career after that. Right. So if you can make it through the, when you lose your bug, that key period and become a journeyman rider and still win races, then you're kind of going on your own. You go, you get going, but there's a lot of bug riders that do well and then they just go into obscurity. Uh, and then there's the weight thing too. A lot of them get too heavy. Right. Well, the, the first thing that I ask every one of my guests is, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? Well, I grew up in a non-church family. I didn't hear much. I don't think I heard about Jesus at all. I didn't even know the Christmas story. And in fact, I heard from my mother recently that when I was little, I, people say, I said I was Jewish because we had Jewish neighbors. I didn't even know what it was. And so I thought that was kind of funny. And then when I was um, nine, we moved to horse country, and my mom met a man that became my stepfather. And uh, he was... A pedophile, basically. So, but anyway, my mom didn't know that, of course. But he would say he was an atheist. So I didn't really know religion. So once, and I was at a friend's house, and she was talking about God or something, and she said, "Well, what are you?" I said, "I'm an atheist." And oh my gosh, I'm like, I'll never say that again because that did not go well. <laughs> so that's a bad word. Yeah. So yeah. So really, I didn't hear the Christmas till I was 18, and I was riding, and I went back to. Um, my aunt's house in New Jersey for Christmas, and my, my sister, who had been seeking, my older sister, she had gone to Bible college. So she told me the Christmas story. Mm. And then she said, you know, you really ought to pray to God. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? And she said, just, you know, just talk to him like he's your best friend. And I said, well, I don't have a best friend, but I'll try, you know. And then I went back to the track, and I started praying for winners, and the horses won, and I knew Jesus was with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom's like, why do you tell that story? It's so crazy, but that's the way it happened. <laughs> yeah, we've discovered there's a lot of different ways that the Lord calls us, for sure. 
so let, why don't you take us back? So you've told us about that moment in your life. So let's go back. Let's go early. Like in the book, it sort of picks up when you're around three years old, when you first see, I think you are on a pony. Is that correct? Yeah, I started riding. My mom was always into horses. So I started riding. I was about three, I guess. It was just part of life. It was like walking. I didn't think it was anything special or different. It was just, in fact, taking care of the horses was kind of a pain, but it was part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and your mom was into horses. Very into horses. That's why we moved to Bedminster, New Jersey. I changed the name in the book to Bridleton, but that's made up. But um, she moved to horse country where there was fox hunting, and um, Jackie Onassis used to hunt with John John, and Caroline used to hunt with us. I didn't know who they were, but it was really horse country. And um, Just Jackie Onassis. That's all it was. Yeah. No I biggie. Mean, yeah. yeah so, so anyway, <laughs> well, I wasn't, I was young, so. Sure. But, but that's where she met my stepfather, and that's kind of when my life changed. Mm-hmm. So, or I changed. Um, inside, I changed because he was, he actually kind of targeted my mom, I guess, to to get to me and my sister. And But she didn't know that. And um, so, yeah, he would say that he was my secret boyfriend, and she, he didn't love my mother. And he was grooming me for, you know, what would happen later. But he started about nine years old. Mm. So that's when I really became aware. As a kid, you're not really aware of yourself. You're just kind of there and your parents. And then I really got in, it, like, what's wrong with me? I must be bad. And um, it really I changed that a lot I was. in the book that you really you beat yourself up even from the very moment that this person began to groom you. You started taking that guilt on yourself, which is very common. That's common. That's how they do it. You know, they get you to believe that you're the bad person. But you you really beat yourself up a lot. Well, because my mother idolized him and loved him, and mm-hmm. I thought, how bad am I that I want his attention and I want his love? But what I learned later when God showed me my memories brought back my memories, which I didn't really have. My mom helped me through it, and she said, well, he, he made you think that. You, you, know, you just wanted his attention. You didn't want a boyfriend. You know, mm-hmm. He put those thoughts in you. So then I could kind of say, wow, I really didn't want him to be my boyfriend. But the guilt was he put that on me, and then I thought that's what I wanted, and then the guilt of that was just horrific. My sure. book is basically about my relationship with my mother and how he just destroyed that. So. Yeah, so take us to the point when you first begin racing uh, with the Pony Jack. So my stepfather was a steeplechase race jockey, but I I call him a show rider in the book. I had to change some identities a little bit, but he was training my pony, and it was our thing. It was like me and him, and he was going to make, you know, he was, maybe he groomed me to be a jockey. I like to think it was my idea, but I think he probably planted all those seeds, and it was going to be our thing, not my sister, not, you know, so it was like special so I started riding pony races when I was 11, and I just loved it. I loved the speed. I mean, horses to me, eh, you know, whatever. But the speed, I loved it, and I loved the competition of racing. In showing, it's subjective. You know, the, I didn't like showing because it was subjective whether you win or not, right? Somebody's mm-hmm. opinion. But racing, you were either first, second, third. It was very clear, very black and white. Mm-hmm. There was no, and I would like to know things. I always like to understand things. And and to me, that was so clear, and I loved the speed. So, yeah, I rode a bunch of pony races. We even had a pony race at the racetrack at Keystone. So, oh, really? Yeah, I took that out of the book. It was in my original. So it was very cool. So as, when you get into racing, now now is your stepfather training you how to be a jockey? Is that what's going on? Or are you just riding and learning on your own when when you first start? Well, he got me a racing saddle for my birthday, for my 12th birthday. Mm-hmm. I got, we went into Five and Saddlery at Belmont, and there was, a, um, you know, we're at Belmont Park, and we got my colors. I 
fixed my color. You know, I picked out what my silks would be. So that was exciting. But I mean, he trained my pony when I would breeze him, gallop him, and had the whole program, and I was going to do it right. I was a perfectionist. so mm-hmm. But I was kind of escaping from what was going on at home. By, I was going to be a good jockey. I was going to be a great jockey, and that would make me good. That would make me okay. In the book, I'm carrying the jockey, and the real me is bad, the bad me and carrying the jockey. Yeah. And this was like going on. My outside persona was very outgoing, and but at home I was very withdrawn, and mm-hmm. I didn't like myself. But I've, I've learned that a lot of people that succeed in life are actually running away from something bad that happened to them. Mm-hmm. They have to prove themselves because they feel inside so bad. That's the drive. Right. I was so driven. Mm-hmm. So whenever you, uh, of course, whenever I was first introduced to you, I saw you on Letterman and I thought, wow. And then you told me, you were like, oh, I don't even know who he was. So I was like, how is this even possible? No, I didn't. I was so into racing. I knew everything about racing. You could, uh, there's nothing I didn't know about racing, but outside of racing, I didn't know TV, actors, and nothing. Right. So when I was on, I didn't even like to go on shows. I, I didn't even, I was like, well, if you can do it on my day off, I'll come do it. Like it was, it was not big for me. I didn't even know who he was. I'm like, <laughs> I'll if you, you in, if you can Letterman. have me on my yeah. day off, I'll come. And then when we're sitting in the waiting room, my mother's like, oh, that's Peter Ustinoff. I had to memorize his name because I didn't know who Peter Ustinoff was. So, she, so, you know, that didn't mean anything to me, but the same, even Howard Cosell, when he would he would interview me, and you know why he talks the way this that is he talks. This how it goes because about. he yeah. has a he has a, a reader thing, and the words come out slowly. So, <laughs> that's so Karen, funny. female jockey, up, 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 and he's reading it, and that's why he talks that way. And I'm like, oh, that. I always thought it was him, but it wasn't. No, <laughs> he's reading the teleprompter. Look at that and it had little like, horsey go. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that's that. That's how it kills Yeah, that's he amazing. Was, um, I love that. Yeah. I know. I had no clue. And then he took he took me back to, in his limo. He he said, "You're going to come in my limo." And he took me like back and dropped off at his at his apartment. And then they took me back to Long Island. Yeah. So yeah, oh, I met a lot of famous people. But I asked. I was on the dais with a bunch of famous sports people, and I'm like to Joe Namath, "Well, what do you do? You know that's yeah." Like, that didn't go well So what do you do, buddy? I didn't know what anybody did. I just knew racing. I didn't even watch TV. But yeah. anyway. So let's get right. Like, okay, so by this point, you're you're in magazines, you're in newspapers. People are talking about this young female jockey. And you're talking about, you're living a double life. You have this side of you that feels a tremendous amount of guilt. There's a sexual relationship with your stepfather that you don't want, but that continues to happen because he is... He's threatening suicide. He's pulling all the stops out to try to keep you held. He's always trying to keep you to yourself. And I tell anybody in this room or anybody that's listening to this podcast, um, you've got to get this book, especially if you've ever been abused, to see how this works. The word grooming is one, but coaching is another. And it seems like this guy was really alienating you from all of your family, which is what they do, and then breaking you down little bit by little bit with the hope that he can get you all to himself. And you've got the whole world that's watching you. You're, you're doing this amazing thing, but the, the title of the book, Racing With My Shadow, you really drive it home. I'm only on page 101, and I've already figured out why you've titled it this. Because you are literally, you're, you're racing from yourself. You're, you're creating this whole other persona. You're fighting. You're, you talk about in your book, that you'll like shoot the gap. Like you're going between horses that would be considered way too dangerous. That's why they thought, you know, she's pretty good for a girl. But then they were like, wait a minute, she's pretty good because she was doing things that even men wouldn't do because you were somewhat suicidal. 
Well, my whole identity was a jockey, and I didn't care if I lived or died. I mean, I broke my back four times. People were like, how do you come back from that? You know, That's to me, so wild to me. Four, four times. times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and once, and the one time I died, I had a, I had a body experience. I'll get into that. But yeah, I definitely want to hear that. Yeah, but but um, yeah, it was like everything to me, and I blocked the other stuff out. Honestly, I blocked it out. And the only times I would come home, and my mother was living with me, and my little sister, who was my stepfather's real daughter. But I couldn't even look at her. I would just, so she painted my, the cover of the book, you see me looking real serious. She always saw me serious and quiet and in my room. That's how she knew me. She oh, thought your mom all painted the cover of this. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's my first stakes win at Belmont. Now, and that's something that I've noticed too, is that your mom was actually earning money as an artist. She was painting horses and doing things like that. And that's how she was making ends meet, right? Well, the stepfather wasn't really contributing to the family. No, he was blowing all the money. We had a farm and we had no money because well, I found out later he was blowing it on gambling and cocaine. And But he was like a split personality. He was one person to my mother. He was one person to me. And he was, um, I believe he was sexually abused and trafficked. And mm -hmm. so he was so messed up. So, and he was on drugs. I mean, when when I got it, when I could drive at 16, I got away. I, I, he never was able to touch me again after that. But mm -hmm. when I was 15 and we would go to Garden State Park, the tra racetrack was two hours away. He would take me on the weekends and I wanted to go to get on the horses, but that's where he would rape me. And I knew I would block it out that anything, he's not going to touch me. You know, mm -hmm. and I bring my books and I have my sleeping bag and I'd put everything on the floor like he's not going to do anything. And it always happened. Mm -hmm. And so, but after that, that fall is when, that happened, and it never happened after that because once, when I, if my mom was around, he couldn't get to me. If anybody was around, but when he had me two hours away and I couldn't escape, that's when. I mean, all the grooming before that, the the emotional stuff was the worst. In a way, I'm kind of thankful that he ended up raping me because then I could say he's bad. He did something bad because the emotional stuff was so subtle and so yes. your mother doesn't love you and. All my feelings were based on his lies. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to figure out later is that, is that my thought or was that planted in me? Yeah. And I couldn't, thank God I had nine years before he came in my life. So I think I had a chance to be normal mm -hmm. and come back to normalcy. But the, the brainwashing is so complete. And um, I think he thought that I wouldn't make it as a jockey and he could control me. Mm -hmm. But he gave me my first two mounts. And after that, I was out of the barn and I didn't want any part of him. I just used, I was just, with every, as I used him to, as a springboard because nobody would have given me a mount. Fifth, you know, I looked like I was ten. Yeah, but you just to think about the uh, how unusual that is. You know, I, I always in my heart I wonder how many people are out there trying to do the same thing, but they don't make it. And then what's going on, right? You weren't giving. You weren't going to give up. You had a dream. You were going to get out of there. And it wasn't just because you want to be the greatest jockey. Sure, that was there. But you had this, you know, subconscious thing that's just eating you alive. You got to get out of there. And the only way out is getting these mounts and winning. Well, the thing is, you know, it was good for a while, but eventually that stuff catches up to you. When I got in a relationship later, it all it all ended up unfolding. You can only suppress this stuff for so long and you can only be successful and none of that. And like God is the one that will help you find out who you really are and help you unravel all the, all the mess that's your life and all the lies. Because without God, I could have never... I could have never remembered. I could have never written my book. I could have never made amends with my mother. Everything, you know, it was, it was God that allowed me to write, allowed me to remember, got the story, everything. I mean, all through everything, you look back and you see God's hand there, 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 all along. So he was there all along, although I didn't know it. How long would you say it took you to reconcile with your mother? Well, when I started... Um, 
what happened was I was after my crazy marriage to this man that was a lot like my stepfather. See, because when you're abused or when my mother thought so much of him, not my my father, but she idolized my stepfather. So my, my sister and I both thought we idolized him too. So that was our plant for that's who we're going to marry. She married somebody like my stepfather. And I married, my husband was 50. 13 years older than me, or 15 years older, like my stepfather. And I kept saying, he's not like my stepfather. He's not like my stepfather. He's successful. He's a pilot. He's a top trainer. And so I had to talk myself out of that was the attraction. But he was successful. I mean, he was a multi, he had the best stable in the country. And so, um, but eventually what happened was in my subconscious, and I figured this out when I was writing my story, I was attracted to somebody because I wanted him to fix what, he was like my stepfather in my subconscious, and I wanted him to be the one to really love me. Because what happened was, with my stepfather, he used to say, you got to call me, you got, I'll kill myself if you don't call me. And it was all a secret with my mother. And then he would come visit in New York, but he'd say he was coming to visit my little sister, his daughter. But then he'd ride in the car with me. And so it was always, always hiding everything. I was petrified. If my mother found out, I thought, she will kill me, or I will kill myself. Because I, I played out what he said. He'd kill himself. I'll kill myself. So when she did find out, which was another thing, it was an act of God that she did find out. Because we were in the jocks room. We had one car. And he would write me letters, and I would shred the letters and bury them in the bottom of the garbage at the jocks room. And so um, she was. We, we were in the same car. So she was in, sitting in the front in the jocks room. I was in the back taking a shower. And what happened was she— <laughs> I found out later when we were editing the book how she actually found the letter that was in the garbage. I thought she dug through the garbage, right? Because I didn't trust her. And my mother was is a great person. Which would have been odd to dig through the garbage if you think about it. Kind of odd, right? We never talked about it until editing the book. And my book came out 27 years after I wrote it. So it was 27 years before you really knew how she figured this out. Right. Please tell everybody how it happened. It's fascinating. Well, the little little yellow garbage can, I would bury it in there, right? Under my, my food, everything I would put on top of it. So what happened was when we were editing the book, she said, well, I just leaned over. I blew my nose and I leaned over and there was... I saw his handwriting on parts of the letter. And I'm like, what do you mean you just leaned over? The, the garbage can was on low. And she goes, no, it's right here. And I said, oh, it's the big garbage bin. At the track, they were bush- wheeling around the big garbage bin and emptying all the garbage cans out. Yeah, and the garbage wow. man, he wheeled it in, he dumped it, and he left it there. Hers would have been in the last. Well, he would have, yeah, he would have tipped it over. And, and it, it was left at the bottom. It there. And it would have ended up on top. Yeah. That's amazing. And, right and she's blowing blowing her off, and she saw his handwriting, rug. That was if his that's name. not Providence, I don't know what is. And we found out, my mother became a believer editing my book because she saw God's hand. Wow. And everything, everything. I mean, it was wow. amazing. So after that letter, when she found it, when she confronted me, I came out. And remember, this is the biggest fear in my life is if my mother finds out. Of She'll course. kill me or I'll kill myself. Right. So, so she didn't know anything about how he was. So anyway, when we got back home, she said, oh, I found this letter. And I just zoned out. Zoop, I was gone. I don't remember. She said, we talked all night. I don't remember any of it. I just zoned out. And I thought I would kill myself. Shock is what you did. You went into shock. shock. But even that my ears started humming, I just was, and she said, don't you remember we talked all night? I said, nope, don't remember. And so I thought she's going to kill me or I'm going to kill myself. And I was like a robot. And then, but the next day I rode the Carter Handicap. It was a $100,000 race in New York. I just was like, just focus on this. Don't yeah, deal with it. Yeah, did you get it. like third place in that? Yep. I was Yeah, and it was like a photo finish. Far. Yep. Yeah, that was really cool. So, but I don't then, know how you did it. Uh, I, Knowing what you just talked about the night before, you're sleeping with your mother's husband. 
Against your will. Well, we weren't sleeping together. He just— Well, he was—okay. He was grooming you, and he was trying grooming to— Grooming me. Yes. Yeah, and then and the, was the only time the rape— he to try to tell you, I love you, and I want to be with you, oh, and not yeah. with your mother. So he oh, was, yeah. So he, was, he wanted you, and this is your mother's husband. Right. And she just finds out, and then the next day, you're in that big race. Mm-hmm. And you just turned it off. I just and I could on turn I could block it. I could just turn off and on, block yeah. it out. I think I'd rather be in the race. Right. I think that would probably, on some level, be a relief. You have uh, an important thing to focus on. It's probably a gift for yes. a day, anyway. You can't avoid it forever, but for a day, it's probably a, a gift, gift for a day. That's a good point. What yeah. What happened after your mother found out? Okay, so she got the phone, and she picked up the phone, and she handed it to me, and I thought, okay, now here comes a confession. Am I going to be killed? Like, I'm thinking, always thinking it's my fault, and I don't know what she wanted for him to apologize, and I just said, she knows. And I thought, okay, he's going to call me and say, are you okay? You said she knows to him. Yeah. On the phone. Yeah. She knows. And I don't remember much else, but I thought, he's going to call me and see if I'm okay, if I'm going to kill myself. He's going to call me because he cares, because I was always worried about him. Right? As much as I do. Yeah, there's a double edged sword to this. Yeah. Like right. You but worry about the person that's actually damaging you. I mean, it, that's it's why weird, I would man. call him. I it would happens. stop at a pharmacy and call him from a payphone, like feeling guilty because I got, because he'll kill himself. Right. So, um, the threat I, of death constantly. Oh, yeah. That's so awful. Such Isn't an it? awful manipulation. Yes. Especially to a child. Oh, my God. Yes. I it's, mean, so, but this is how she's raised. She's I can't raised even imagine with the threat of suicide constantly. <sighs> so she's calling him, making sure that he's okay, and he's the one that's abusing her. <laughs> it's we laugh, it's but it's, we I, laugh I, because we don't know what to do right, with that. Exactly, that's uh, it's brutal. We don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah, the with emotional it. stuff was the worst by far. Physically, forget it. That's no problem. But emotionally, it was really bad. Especially that it was my mother. I was hurting my mother. That she loved this man. You know, she yeah. didn't love my father. She loved him, but he played her. Yeah. You know, did everything she liked and wanted. So, but anyway, so after that, I thought, okay, he's going to call me. He's going to, he's going to call the jocks room. He's going to write me a letter. Nothing. Zero. Zip. He went right for his daughter, who was two. Started taking her on the weekends. Oh, no. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I know it's my fault, but at the same time, I know he's going to do things to her. And she would, she would come home and she'd stick her tongue in the ear. All the things that he would do, she would mimic because she's two years old. She didn't know to hide it. And I, so I was like telling my mom, you can't let him, but I'm, who am I to say? It's my fault. Who am I to say? But she's my sister. She's got to be protected. And he was taking her every weekend. And so, um, yeah, it was pretty terrible. But, and I saw all the signs. I mean, everything he did, she would do. And I was like, oh my God, you know, because she doesn't even know it's wrong to hide it. Yeah. So anyway, um, my, what happened was, when was this? So anyway, this went on a while. And then finally, I guess my future husband got involved with me and he would say, you can't let this man take her. I guess she was going with him till she was like seven or eight. And so finally my mother, you know, realized that she had to stop it. So she fought it in court. All this is not in my book because my sister's in denial. She's obese. She's got so many issues. And I think she split because she loved me as a writer. But as soon as my book came out, she just wanted nothing to do with me because she's still idolizes her father because she had to split. She had to be with him, and then she had to be with my mom, and my mom didn't like him, and he didn't like her, so her only functioning was they're both wonderful, and I'm going to block it all out. So that's how she dealt. So anyway, so she was fighting it in the courts, and the psychiatrist took his side and said he was a changed man. He's sorry. He admitted he did underage what he did to me, and they didn't call the police. I thought it was strange that 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 the police had said— 
you, you might as well not go after him because it's actually going to make it harder on you. Talking about you, Karen Rogers. They don't do that today, by the way. No, I was going to say, figured this 30, out. We figured even out how 30 it works. years ago. Yeah. Even 30 years ago, they, it would, depending on the case, but they would, they would treat they, this stuff differently. Even they would 30 just years sweep ago. it under the rug and they say, this is better for the victim the rug, to yes. not. Right. Well, well, what happened was my mom took it to court, and I was the leading writer at Monmouth at the time, and mm-hmm. I was all over the papers. And so the lawyer said, you're never going to win. It's his word against hers. And she's going to be dragged through the mud, and then she's going to be worse. I'm thinking I'm going to go to jail. Yeah, I'm, she's I'm going to be I'm dragged thinking through I'm the on mud. trial. Right. I'm sitting there with the lawyers like I didn't want to go, and I'm sitting there, and I'm zoned out like they're going to put me in jail. Yeah. That's the way I was thinking. And my mom was trying to get justice, and I'm thinking she's going to put me in jail. When, yeah. about, when about was this, just for reference, approximately? What? How, what about what year? Nineteen. She found out in nineteen eighty. Okay. Yeah. Just check it. Yeah. So yeah, when she's at the height of her, like she's all over the news and, and in the papers, and and the worst thing was when my mother, my grandmother, and my sister obviously knew, and nobody talked about it, which made me more of a criminal. Mm-hmm. Oh, when somebody murders, nobody talks about it. But if you are in a car accident, oh, how are you? Are you okay? No, everybody it was silence, mm-hmm. which made me more the guilty one. Yeah, you know, a lot one, of times the, the, the silence is because they don't know what to say, but then we and our brains turn it into something that it's not, which you even said that in your book too. You talked about all the things that your mom, when she didn't say things, that was that would add more guilt to you because you thought she was disappointed. And at the time, she was trying to leave you alone because she, she didn't know how to handle it. Everything she did, I turned around that she hated me. Everything. Because that's how I was brainwashed to believe. And I knew she loved me. And this was my problem. I knew she loved me and I knew she hated me. Which is true. I couldn't come to terms with that. Yeah. I couldn't come to terms with that. And it wasn't until, okay, so what happened was um, I should get into, so uh, I'll get back to like with God at Christmas. That's when I knew about Jesus and I started praying. And then about eight months later, I had a spill. I'm backtracking, but I had a spill at Saratoga. And um, I, I, my head was under the sand. And I guess the track vet came running across because the people watch on the backside of Saratoga. And he pulled my head up out. I don't remember any of this. But in the first aid room, that's where I died because I was going up and I saw myself down on the stretcher and there was two doctors over me and I was wearing all white and my arm was up over my head because my shoulder had been dislocated. My my mouth had been like jammed into the track and my knee, everything. But I'm going up and back and I'm going, I must be dying because I'm down there. <laughs> wow. I mean, my body's down there and I'm up here. It's like registered that I'm I'm dying. And the weird thing was, and I saw there was nurses in the back around this big oak desk and they weren't paying attention to me. And my only thought was, and I was going up, 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 up. And then I stopped going up slowly. And I was about the size of a pencil when I stopped. And I thought I was between the wall and the ceiling. I thought I was on the corner because I stopped. And I thought, if I turn, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I wanted to turn. I was mm. like, I want to go. I want to turn. But I thought if I turn, I won't get back. And I got to go back and say, I'm sorry to my mother for ruining her life. I didn't think about the horses, nothing. My whole world here in the flesh was racing and winning. When I was out of my body, it was about who you love. It's about my mother making things right. I did not think about horses. You're so free when you're out of your body. You're you're completely free and you're who you are and your love is all that matters. Man, who can set me free from the body of this death? Right. So <laughs> so I, I focused, I said, if I focus on my body, maybe I'll get back because I can go another time. And I don't know if God sent me back or if I wanted to go back, but I did choose to go back. Anyway, I woke up in the ambulance and then I was in the ICU and I was thinking when I woke up, like I was in the ICU for a few days. And when I woke up and my mom came in the room, I'm like, where have you been? She said, I've been here all along. I've been... It's like I needed her, but I didn't want to need her. So then I I started to cry because I knew I wasn't going to see her again. 
And it's like I remembered the memory. And then I was, I don't know what I said to her. Like, I, I, I don't know what I said to her, but I didn't make it right. I didn't do what I said I was going to come back to do. Mm. How long I, did it take you to make it right with your mom? It took, okay, so I continued racing, and then I developed late. I didn't get my period till I was 21. So I had, even though I was in the jocks room, every, I was like a little kid. I was like their sister, which I felt very good about. I didn't want to develop because I didn't want it to be my fault. If I was a woman, what happened was my fault. I asked for it, right? Mm. So I didn't want to grow. So when I finally did, I was already a jockey and I was already established. So it didn't feel like such a threat, like, oh, you're going to sleep with someone for mounts because that's what I did with my stepfather in my mind. Right. Those two mounts is like, I did that. And so the guilt, I would never, ever want to sleep with a trainer. And by saying, by, and we have to remember, not everybody knows racing, like, and maybe for the audience, when she says sleeping for somebody for the mounts, <clears throat> it means the horse that you're going to get to ride. It's In a very, race. It's very, very competitive between jockeys. And you might ride four to nine times in a day, depending if you are a higher up jockey. Then again, a trainer may not allow you to get on his horse, right? Or if it's a certain time of season, you have better jockeys that come in at the summertime. And so then you're fighting really hard. So they're saying, oh, the only way that she got on that horse is because she slept with who? Right. And a and lot such. of the girls right. after me were doing that, which was like, oh, like you're ruining it. You're ruining it. Yeah. You know, how can you do, how can you do that? But I had such an aversion to it because of my stepfather. Mm -hmm. And I didn't trust trainers. I was never staying in a barn long. I always had to have somebody else in the barn with me. But the jockeys, I felt like they were my brothers. They were like my friends because right. I was in the room with them. But anyway. So you developed late. And, so I developed late. But you're established, late. so you're not, you don't feel right. that pressure anymore, right? So, I, you know, the jockeys were all hitting on me, and I'm like, oh, come on, I'll go out with you next week because I knew how they were. I heard all their <laughs> stories, you know. I was right. like kidding around. So, in fact, Angel Cordero goes to me, and he was a good friend. He gave me a lot of whips and stuff. But he was hitting on me once I started to develop. And he goes, oh, did you get an operation? He's looking at my chest. And I go, oh, Angel, no. come on. I would have made them both the same size. <laughs> You know, and he's like, oh, you know, so, but that's the way we kidded. We kidded about all that stuff. You're like one of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't care, you know. So anyway, um, I did date one jockey, but we were just like, when we were 16, we were both 16 and it was just like high school sweethearts. Is that the one that was like diving in the pool? David. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ashcroft. Ashcroft. Yep. And he got, he used to tell me, you got to quit riding. You keep breaking your back. And I said, what about you? You take the same risk. I never get hurt. Well, two months after we broke up, he went down a spill at Calder and broke his neck, and he's a quadriplegic to this yeah. day. It's unbelievable. Yep. Broken necks and backs, very, very, very common. It was a very interesting story, though, to talk about him before that accident, whenever he, she's at the pool. Was this in Florida? Monmouth had a pool. Monmouth, Monmouth Park was in Monmouth, in New, so this in New was Jersey. in New Jersey. And so she's at the pool, and this guy, he really wants to— <laughs> He wants to show off for you, so he starts trying to do all the different dives off the diving board. Yeah. I remember that, like, when I was in school, like, hey, watch this, ladies, yeah. you know, and trying to do a flip or a dive. And, but, of course, I would uh, run and get to the end of the diving board, slip, fall oh. on my back, and then fall into the water. But That's then they'd feel sorry for you and you get all the ladies. No, that wasn't that. They just thought I was an idiot. Oh. But, <laughs> but you knew that this guy, but you actually liked this well, guy, David right? David was coming from Florida. He was the leading apprentice in Florida. I was leading apprentice in New York. So we both converged on New Jersey. I decided to go back to New Jersey because I was going to lose my bug, and I didn't want to lose it in New York, but I did want to make it in New York. So that's when I had the accident, broke my back, and ended up in New York with the bug, which was a God thing again. Does everybody understand what a bug is? Aha, uh -huh, that's why I touched on it at the so beginning. That, that was a God thing again. Nature. But yeah, yeah so, so David and I were both <laughs> leading apprentices 
from other places, That's and then right. we came there. And then, of course, I, I was beating him by like 20 wins. I was way <laughs> ahead. And he said, he used to call me uh, Roger. Hey, Rog. He used to call me, hey, Rog, you know. And then when we were going out, I was Crispy Critter. Uh. <laughs> so that was his nickname for me. But anyway, we were like high school, you know, and I didn't want to do the sex thing. I mean, I really, because of what I went through. Plus, I was not developed. And so when I got in my body cast, we, we, that's when I broke my back. He said, you're so much more fun with your back broken because <laughs> I was so into racing. And then he was able to catch me in the standings. So oh, no, that's why. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. anyway, that's yeah. Funny. So we, but we did date. And then when he, he wanted to get married and I'm like, no way, I'm going to go ride in New York. And he went back to Florida and that's when the accident happened and whatever. I took all that out of the book, but what, where was I going back to, um, you, well, oh, so I met my husband, right? He was a leading trainer, a lot older than, almost like my stepfather older than me. He was 38, I was 21. And he definitely, he, he had the best horses in the country, but my agent would say, go by there, go by, he's going to give you some mounts. So he gave me a couple of bad mounts. And I was like, Freddie, I don't want to waste my time there. He's just giving me the garbage horses. The good ones, Angel gets to ride. So anyway, he kept saying, go by, go by. So one day he says, if you hit the board with this horse, I'll take you to dinner. And I'm thinking, well, a trainer? But, you know, and here I'm liking guys now. And he is handsome, and he is doing good. And, well, so so I told my mother, what do I do? She said, well, even if you don't hit the board, tell me you still want to go to dinner. So anyway, from there, he he wind, we ended up going to breakfast, and I was just completely taken by him. And um, But little did I know he was a lying, manipulating drug addict. Uh, he was really bad news, but he was very successful. But I kept telling myself, he's not like my stepfather. He's not like my stepfather. Maybe because he was. He was a liar. He was on drugs. But I didn't know any of that. But maybe subconsciously I did. So anyway. Isn't it interesting how hard you worked and how successful you were, but who you really were? But when you look at somebody else and you see their success, we kind of forget that. Mm -hmm. Because you were very much alike. You were both very successful, but you had things underneath. Right. Right? Right. And so when we when we see all these people with super success, you know, that's why I think we should really try. We, we need to be patient and not really, you know, these guys might be super successful, but you don't really know them. You don't really know them. So my mediocrity makes me a good guy then. Yeah, you're, you're a wonderful <laughs> guy because you're so mediocre. There's so much more I want to touch on with my story, but uh, anyway. I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's good. So keep did you, me on track. Did you ever get a chance to apologize to your mom? And, okay, and, we're and, getting there. So, okay. Oh. So I, when I was with my husband, he started to he started to tell me everybody at the track hated me. He said, oh, your, Frank Wright says he sleep, you're sleeping with him for his good horses. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't believe this. He was making it all up to, to push me down, right? And it's Frank Wright. Frank Wright. Frank he was an Wright. old, old, old man. I mean, he's like he's seventy years old, and I was riding his horses. He was like super, super, super famous. Right. Well, yeah. he had the show. But anyway, right. so he did things to really diminish my self esteem because he was taking my riding and who I was as a jockey from me. And so, and then I, a couple of his horses jumped up and won, and he fired me. Well, now I'm not riding for him, and I stopped like working for a lot of other people because I was so taken by him. Now everybody's wondering, why isn't she riding for him? Like, what's wrong with her? So my business started going down. But at this point, I was like, well, I'm not sleeping with him. But I'm not getting the good mounts. And Angel said, why aren't you riding the good horses? You ought to use what you got. And I said, Angel, no, I'm going to quit. You know, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so anyway, I did end up quitting riding and... I, it was part of it was stuff he was. It was mostly because I was disgusted with everybody, all the lies he told me. I just didn't trust anybody anymore. So when I quit riding, I went into a tailspin, 
And my mother saw this, and she thought, well, Jan, my boyfriend, he, he can, I'll tell him what happened to her as a child. Nobody knew my secret. So she told him what happened, to, hoping he would pull me out of it by putting me on horses or something. And you know what he did? He used it to drag me down further because at the diner, he told me, well, your mother told me what happened. And I was like, what betrayal? Like she ruined, now he's going to hate me. And it just made me think my mother is against me. And he used this to separate me from my mother. And basically he isolated me from the world. He took away my riding. He took away my family. And all I had was him. And I worshiped him. So what ended up happening was, um, getting back to your question about my mother, um, so things went really, really, I thought I was happy. This is what's so amazing. I was drinking, I was cutting, I was bulimic from racing, you know, that's throwing up. They had, the jockeys had heaving bowls. So I was bulimic and I was um, cutting and drink. And drinking was because he would turn away from me at night. And now for the first time, I want to have sex with my husband, you know, because we got married and he's turning away from me. He goes, you want to too much. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm a rapist. I'm so bad. I'm like my stepfather. So before I would go to bed, I would just guzzle the, the vodka gl -gl 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 -gl, until I know I'm not going to remember anything. Wow. And so that's how I started really getting carried away with the alcohol. And I didn't know he was on drugs. So anyway, um, things went really bad. Eventually he lost the stable, which meant he was going to lose his money and everything was about the money. And I'm like, he's a multimillionaire. Like we, he had a beach bonanza airplane. We flew in his air, but he was... I never thought about the money, right? It, but the money was for the drugs, which I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So little by little, things started coming out, and he was on this medicine. He called it his medicine. And then all the lies started coming out. And I just I just went like he was becoming my stepfather. And I just wanted him to then finish me off. I was in such a bad place. Just finish me off. Just kill me. Just Due to, in my mind, which I didn't know, finish what I never did. When my mother found the letter, but I didn't realize this. I thought it was him, but it was my subconscious trying to play out what I never. So my past came back to me. I never did run from it. So anyway, um, after me mental hospitals, suicide attempts, he wanted me dead because he wanted his parents multimillion and I knew too much and I was going to. So he, he basically wanted me to die. He even set it up where, you know, he hung me from the shower and he checked into a motel. And so when I, the shower head broke, and when I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm going to kill myself. He's going to kill himself. We had a suicide pack. So I'm like, where did he go? He's going to kill himself. I mean, my mind was so out of it. Yeah. And he, had, he was looking at sailboats to buy. You know, he had this whole alibi. But I still couldn't believe that he didn't love me. So anyway, things were so bad. Eventually, I left him. And see, the problem was I kind of put God in the back burner, and he became my God. And that is so dangerous because he had all this power over me. And even though I knew God and once he almost died and I prayed to God he would live and God answered my prayer, I still wasn't focused on God. I was focused on, he was my God. He was my savior. He was everything, right? And, right. and, the, and really he was, I was a nothing. And he was, when I was with him, I was, his name was Jan, but it's Pablo in the book. I was with Jan. I was just a with Jan. I was just an appendage. I was nothing more than that. I was nothing. Without my writing, I was nothing. So anyway, when I got away from him, I was destroyed. I was nothing. And I went back home to live with my mom, and she couldn't believe what a sh shred of a human being I was. There was nothing left of me, really. And I was drinking, and um, so... But God was with me. I was still, you know, praying. And how I lived through all the suicide attempts is a miracle. And so then... I went back to riding, even though I had been out for five years. 
And I didn't think, my agent said, you know, I started getting on horses just because I didn't know what else to do. And my agent said, you should go back to racing. I'm like, Dominic, I'm going to end up in a mental hospital. I'm not stable. I like, I keep running back to my ex-husband and then he pushes me over the edge. There's no way. He goes, no, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can do this. So I went back to riding and I, and I was doing well, but at night I was drinking. I was dating guys and trying to kill myself, like, like play out the whole suicide thing with anybody. I go out with a guy on the first date. I'd be like, go off, drink, kill me, you know? And it was, my mother's like, why are you doing this? And so I prayed to God. I said, God, show me what's wrong with me. I'm away from my husband and what is wrong with me? I didn't know. And so um, in the jocks room, there was an article, Sports Illustrated article, and I prayed, show me what's wrong with me. I really didn't know. And I opened up the Sports Illustrated article, and it was an article about Robbie Davis, another jockey. Well, Robbie had been in a, about a year before. He was in a race at Belmont, and he ran, his horse ran over Mike Venezia and killed him, another rider. And he ran and hid in the broom closet, and he was like, he, he, it was, he reacted very different than everyone else. And then he took a bunch of months off, and nobody knew why, because people don't do that, right? I mean, people get killed in races. I've been in a race where somebody was killed right inside me. So the article came out that Robbie was sexually abused by his stepfather. And it, you know, porn pictures when he was a kid, everything. And I'm reading it, and I'm going, Robbie, it happened to Robbie? It happened to somebody else? And a jockey? And he told he told, Robbie told. I was like, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that he would tell anybody. And then I'm driving home and I'm going, maybe, maybe my stepfather had more to do with what's going on with me. Maybe that's why I'm drinking. Maybe that's why, you know, maybe all this is because of that. And so I, I just prayed that God would give me the memories and help me deal with this. And I couldn't, I prayed for a spill. I said, I can't do this. I can't function and, and go back. I can't do it. I can't keep riding and function and revisit my past, my childhood. So I prayed for a spill, got a spill, broke my back, fourth time. You asked God to break your back? No, I asked for a spill so, so I could have time. Careful what you ask for, folks. <laughs> All right. So Be then, careful, yeah. So this is what I do, right? Typical person. I go in my bedroom and I get drunk. Every night, I'm getting drunk. God, I prayed for the spill. I prayed to go back, and here I am getting drunk. I don't want to deal with it. Just kill me already. Kill me already. And I didn't want to live. I said, okay, so start me on this. Either kill me or start me on the journey where I can deal with this. And he gave me that very first memory of when I was looking out the window. Our, our house was like a barn, and you could see from one room to the other. And I watched my, my stepfather and my mother kissing, and I went crazy. I I was throwing stuff in the room. I was nine years old, and I went ballistic. My sister came in, and she said, what is wrong with you? I said, look, look, they're kissing. See, I didn't know it was wrong to be jealous. Look at them, they're kissing. She's like, and she was older, and she was being groomed as well. And she didn't, so she's like, no, no, no. You know, that's normal. So I'm thinking, I must be bad. And that's when I switched. That's when I became, I'm going to hide this bad person. And that was the key memory that I was bad because I wanted my stepfather's attention and I was jealous. And that memory was, I buried it behind a wall. I'm, that wasn't me. I'm so bad. And no one could, I, I didn't even want to deal with the fact that I wanted his attention, right? Mm -hmm. So that memory was so, so hidden, but that was the key. That memory God gave me. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell my mother. So I went in, and we were in the same house because I'd moved back in, and I'm like, okay, Mom, and I told her what happened. I said, okay, now she's going to kill me, right? She goes, he did that to you. He did that to you. He was going, and he was convincing you that, you know, he put that in you where you wanted his attention and you wanted, 
he did that. You didn't do it. And so I'm like, it was like a new way to look at it. And thank God my mother like looked at it that way. So we started going through everything, her version, my version, what he told her, what he told me. And everything was, it was crazy. He wrote a play and she was mother in the play. And it's, I was the bad sport to cover up for all my bad behavior that he was molesting me. Mm. I was a bad sport in the pony races and I wasn't a bad sport. And I'm reading this play and I'm going, what? He wrote this? Like, what a monster. So anyway, we put together what started as my book, and I wasn't going to be a book. And so God was giving me the memories. And then I, and then my back was put in, in therapy, because it was dislocated and broken. So I was like, I'll go back and ride again, because I was feeling better, but I was still drinking. And so before I went back to ride, I was out nine months, and I stopped at the point of my out-of-body experience, because I didn't know. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't die. Maybe they drugged me. People were like, oh, you know, you were given drugs, this and that. And I'm like, no, I know what I experienced. So I stopped the book right there. And I went back, oh, before I went back to writing, I was still drinking. And I'm like, you know, God, I can't stop drinking. I could stop for a week. I could stop for a month, but I always go back. I said, I can't do that. I finally got to the point where I said, God, I cannot do this. I can't do it, but you can. I said, take away my desire for alcohol. Just take it away. You do it. I know you can do it. I'm done. And it was gone. 32 mm. years ago, never wanted another drink. Wow. Because I had faith he could do it, and I gave it to him. I didn't take it back. I said, it's yours. Do it. So I went back to racing, and lo and behold, within five months, we were at Saratoga again, and I had a spill in the same spot. Mm. And you I didn't get, ask for that one, though, right? No, but it was an answer to prayer because I had <laughs> left my book at that spot, right? right yeah. So I went down on the race, and my agent's <laughs> running across the infield, jumping over the hedge to see if I'm okay because it was a pickup mount that he got me, and he felt bad. But he knew about my antibody experience. I had drawn everything for him. So I'm, and I'm like, Dominic, and all the jocks that fell were all in the ambulance. I'm like, Dominic, I can, now I can, maybe I can find out what happened when I died here nine years ago. So we go into the first aid room, and I tell the doctor, nine years ago, I had a spill here, and I, you know, I died. And he goes, yeah, I was the doctor. And I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah, we lost you. You died. And I, okay, okay, show me the room. It was a big room, and there was a nurse in the back. And he goes, so he shows me the room, and it's a tiny little room. And I said, no, 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 this isn't what it looked like. This, it was a big room. This is where you were. I said, my arm was up over my head. He said, yeah, you, your shoulder was dislocated before we put it in. That's when we lost you. So I, so I said, well, this is not making any sense. So, um, so then he walked away to attend to the other riders. And I was like, I had to be in one of those other big rooms, not this little room. And I said, there was this desk. So there was a little tin desk in the front, which I was in before they put me in the ambulance, but my arm was back in. So I'm like, Dominic, I never should have come back here because now it's not making any sense to me. So I push open the door to the room next to the little room, and there's the oak desk. There's the desk I wow. saw. I'm like, that's the desk. They moved it from the big, the big room into, into here. And, I, and so I asked the doctor. He said, no, this is the nurse's station. And I'm going, yeah, there's nurses around the desk. And he said, this has been here since the track was built. So I looked and I said, wait a minute. It lines up. I said, there was no wall there. There was one big He said, no, there was a wall. So then I look up at the ceiling, which was very low. And I realized I wasn't on the ceiling because I was the size of a pencil. I was way, way up high. And so I saw the two rooms as one, and that's why the nurses were not paying attention to me. So I saw the whole thing, but it was different than what I expected. And then my agent and I ran upstairs, and it was the bedding windows above the first aid. <laughs> so I was like, well, I wasn't here. So I believe I was just about to cross over dimensions, and I was allowed to see down 
into it. So I'm like, now I can break my book. Now I can finish my book. Now I need another spill. So, <laughs> man. So what did I do? I prayed for another spill. Guys, please don't pray for spills. So yeah. I said, now I can finish my book. And this time I'm going to quit because I know I got to write my testimony and I know God has another, and I don't need to, to put my life at risk every day because I have value, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. incredible how dangerous that sport is. Very, yeah. it's extreme. And they don't talk about it much. You know, how many riders, everybody has broken necks and backs. If you ride for any time, it's just Russian roulette. It's a matter if you walk away or not. Right, right. It's like it, long enough, it's going to happen. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly. So anyway, I I, I went, um, I got hurt, another Z-Best on the back of my book. That's the horse that I was supposed to ride a couple days before I got hurt again. But I was like, praise God, I got hurt. I can finish my book. And I'm typing and whatever. So anyway, I finished it. And then God... Um, God told me, oh, Simon & Schuster wanted it in 1990. They wanted my book. And I, God said, no, 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 no. He's, they're going to make it secular. They're going to make it about a female jockey. They're not going to talk about God. They're not going to talk about the sex abuse. So I said no. And I waited on God's timing. And I, it was 27 years before I put my, because I had a son and God had me homeschool him. And I said, no, God, no, no, no. He doesn't have a dad. I'm not homeschooling him. I cried about it. I took him out of school. I cried and I put him back in and Sure enough, I said, God, if you want this, you'll do it. And he, he sent me a woman that homeschooled. She gave me the curriculum. We became best friends. I never cried a tear, and he homeschooled all the way. And then I taught writing at our homeschool co-op, which, which helped me um, You're edit. You're educating yourself how to yes. do your book. Editing, I did editing. And then when my son was done with school, and like for college— then I pulled my book out. It was time, and I could edit, and I edited it with my mother, and she got saved because there was another Christian guy that wanted the book, and God's like, no, and then do it yourself. I'm like, okay, so my mom and I did it. She got saved, and it's exactly the way God wanted it. So glory mm -hmm. to God that That's right. my book has helped a lot of people. So, Can At I what ask? point did you know that you had the peace of God and that it was gonna, you were going to stay with it this time? Um, the peace of God, well, after, after my— mess with my ex-husband. Oh my gosh. I knew that God had to be God. That's when I started reading the Bible and getting more, wanting to know God. And um, But it's a journey. And the more you give him... See, what I've learned is when I run ahead and do things my way, it never works out well. And it's always best to wait on God and always best to wait. And when you hear him and then you get confirmation, then you do it. Or if he has you do things you don't want to do, it's usually because it's going to go well and you're not going to get the glory. Like he gets the glory for my book, for the memories, for the writing, for everything. And so, um, yeah, my, my journey with God is just been, it just keeps growing. And I think that's a perfect point, especially for our listeners out there, because there's a lot of people that are like, when am I going to know? When am I going to be there? When am I really going to be saved? The moment that you accept Christ into your life, that's when you're saved. And then the rest of it's a journey. So don't feel bad that, hey, I slipped or I did this or I did that or I can never do this. Like you say, it's a journey and you're going to fall, but you just keep picking up the book. You keep asking questions and you keep moving forward. Uh, Praying for spills. It's, it's still, a, yes, exactly. I don't have to pray for a mind come, but then that's. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing was, the only time I was in church was when my I was homeschooling my son and I said, we, we need a group, you know, and the, the woman that gave me the curriculum was in a church. So it surprised me because all the people I was giving my testimony to, people that have been abused, alcohol, all that, and it, they were so receptive. I got in the church, they didn't even ask for my testimony. All there was was social clubs. I was so disappointed. I'm like, these are people of God, and I'm not even even, it wasn't even about God. It was mm -hmm. like a social club. And it was very, and it, 
I eventually turned my son off to God because the, the men, I thought they'd step forward. And so, I mean, people are still people, but you can't judge God on Christians because Christians are still people. And right. God is go sure. always God, and God will always be faithful, and Christians won't be, but God will be. So when people say, oh, Christians, I'm like, don't God, God, don't judge God by people that are trying to follow God because we're all going to mess up. And so that's what I think. And the personal relationship with God is what's key. You and Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God living in you. And if you listen to him, he will tell you where to go. He will shut doors and open doors. And if you just tune in and listen, when we pray, we talk. Why don't we just shut up and listen? Yeah. I have a thing where I set my timer for five minutes, and I'm just shut up. Just listen. Don't make a noise. Just listen, and God will speak to you. But we've got to give him the platform I think that's huge. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I don't think we, I, I honestly think we don't listen enough. And you said something about having a personal relationship with God. I, there was a pastor in California, uh, uh, Greg, and he one day said, oh, you're that Catholic boy. He said, you need a personal relationship with God. And it took me years to understand that what was holding me back from really having the relationship I wanted is that I was listening to what the priests were saying and do this and do that. And when I had questions, it was have faith. Uh, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that I needed to have a personal relationship with God and work on that myself. And it's funny because my mom just accepts Jesus and she's all about love. And it's so easy to her, even fulfilled prophecy she gets because she wasn't churched. I wasn't really church, so I mean, I read the Bible, and that's where I get it from, and there's certain things that I'll listen to, but I always go back, and then it's funny, going back to fulfilled prophecy, which is what I believe, when I was studying the Bible, God's always like, don't read the book of Revelation, okay. I bought tapes on it, books on it, don't read the book of Revelation, okay. So then I met a woman that wrote a book on the Kabbalah, and she started dropping seeds about fulfilled, now I wasn't into eschatology or, you know, Jesus coming back or any of that, but... When she told me stuff, I'm like, well, tell me more. Where can I learn more about this? So I was very open to it because I was open to everything. And you go, well, get Gary DeMar's book, Last Day's Madness. So I get the book, and I sit down, and I spent probably six months out in my yard with my dog, with my Bible, with his book, making copious notes. And I'm like, and, he's, and God's like, now read the book of Revelation. So I'm like, okay, forget all those other books and tapes. I got the Last Day's Madness. I got my Bible. And I, it all made perfect sense. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But I didn't realize now when I tell people that oh, you're a heretic, and I'm like, wait a minute, just oh, read the spill. Bible, just read the Bible. It's all there, you know. So, but I realize there's a lot of there's a lot of indoctrination from all these, and I don't understand all the all the denominations. I don't. And people say pre this and post that and 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 Presbyterian <laughs> and premillennial, and I'm like, oh, where's that in the Bible? You know, I don't, where's the Cal, where's Mr. Calvin in the Bible? It's like, it's not there. <laughs> so I don't understand these other religions and these sects. Calvin and Hobbes. And yeah, yeah, so. Don't you love it when know. someone comes in who wasn't indoctrinated like, like I was in several different faiths? They come in and then they just, like it's like listening to Andy sometimes. Because Andy wasn't indoctrinated and, and, and wasn't raised that way, sometimes he will, just, of you, Andy. he will just see things for what they are. Right. It's a you can, you can just look at it and say, well, it's obviously that. Yeah, and go. we've got to get past all of our preconceived notions oh, or man. things we've been taught all of these years to get to a point like this. We keep to, talking about them, guys. You're going to make mom, them blush. I told, oh I told her. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. crawl under these chairs. My mom gets <laughs> yeah, my mom gets it. People that aren't like in church, they get it. They just get it. And so, I don't know. I mean, like some people I tell and they're, they're okay with it, but 
the, the church people are like, oh, you're a heretic. So I didn't even know, use the word preterist. I didn't even really know the word. And I was sure. like, ooh, that sounds like a bad word because everybody calls me a heretic. <laughs> Can I ask you, a, before we wrap this yeah. up, because we're about to finish this. It's hard to believe it's already been an hour. Can you believe it? it went by so quick. But I have a tough question I want to ask you. I just want to know. Have you forgiven your stepfather? Absolutely. Have you forgiven yourself? Yes, but that's been hard. Yeah, I mean, I do love myself because God loves me. I see that God loves me even if, um, you know, if he loves me that much and he could let me get through all this stuff, then he must, you know. And there's other people in this room that God loves too. (laughs) (laughs) She is looking at me. (laughs) Before I came to this conference, God said, get Andy a Bible. She she bought me a very nice Bible. (laughs) So where it goes from there, it's not my problem. (laughs) And who was yeah, it? Yeah, but Andy, and I know you have it now. As between you and God. Right? And who was it that had reviewed that Bible that you purchased? Oh, Andy. Yeah, I'm like, God, show me which book, Bible to get. And it was all kinds of Bibles. And then there was one, 700 reviews. There's one, the one that I got was basically just printed recently. It was the perfect size. It was NASB, which I love. It had the references. It had the red letters of Jesus. I'm like, okay, now. And I look at the reviews. Who reviewed it? Andy. <laughs> I said, this is the book well, like for you Andy. said, there was one review, right? One, and it was, <laughs> and it was nice Andrew. Bible. It's so, a very nice Bible. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I signed it to him from me at the behest of God. Oh, so, sweet. It wasn't me. It totally was. I said, when God goes after somebody and he and he wants to work in your life, boy, watch out because he's going to send all the troops in. That's right. And yeah. uh, just step aside. Step aside. Karen Rogers, it means a lot to me that you got that you came to be on the show. That you came all the way down to be here at, at Berean Bible Church and to sit with us and to tell us your testimony. It was very amazing. Amen. Well, I'm honored to be here. And to anyone that's listening, guys, go and find her book. It is Racing With My Shadow. It is incredible. I read it in 24 hours. Yes. The story is a wild ride, I yeah, guess you could say. Yeah, I started it at 3 o'clock this morning, and I'm already 100 pages in. Do those in. things have Hemi's in it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the compelling what? truth story. Huh? What was that? He asked about Hemi's in it. He's, it's car talk. He, he likes What's a Hemi? Oh. What's a Hemi? It's a, it's a car talk. It's isn't a, it's it, isn't it a burrow? A Henny? <laughs> it's an engine. He's talking horsepower, just a different type. Donkey power. You guys got burrow power. That's right. So the book is Racing With My Shadow, the compelling true story of America's first leading female jockey. So uh, before I leave, though, I don't know if you know this. Are you, are you familiar with what a horse whisperer is? Yes. Have you ever met one? I was one. No, I'm kidding. No, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I've heard of that, but I don't, I think certain people do have a relationship with horses. And I'm a horse whisperer. You are? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, God. And so, uh, <laughs> let me show you how you do it. You ready? This is how you do it. You walk up to the horse and you get really close to its ear and you go, you're a, you're a donkey whisperer. You're a burrow man. Uh, yeah, I know yeah. you. He's a donkey, all right. <laughs> yeah. Y'all knew the joke was coming. I, I, I heard you use the other word really for a my donkey. donkey. We're still waiting for the joke. So that makes all your women Jenny's. <laughs> That's right. Good one, Karen, Ralph. thank you for being on the show. Yeah, it was amazing. That Holly, yeah. wild Ralph, crazy life. Thanks I for opening you. yourself Rick. up to us and to our audience yes. and, and letting them know that uh, you know, there's a place for everyone in God's world. Everyone. Yeah. There, God loves everybody. Absolutely. He's after hearts. And when it's the right time, he sends in the people and he sends the things and he does everything to wake somebody up because he is after hearts. And 
Um, it's just, we've got to keep that in mind as we walk through life, because when you're in this flesh, it's very easy to get distracted. It's very, it's so much better to be out of your body. Trust me. (laughs) uh, But while we're here, we have a job to do for God and that's to give him, he died for us. We got to live for him. We've got to be his hands and feet and to love one another. So, and love, love is it. I mean, that's how people know they see Jesus. They see the love of God. And if we can love them into the kingdom, that's 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 the that's way right. to go. So I've, I'm very blessed to be in this special church here that David runs and with Rick because God has his hand on this podcast and on your life. And everybody here, God is, loves you all and he's after you. So just listen to him. That's all I can Amen. say. Well, we will talk to you guys next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace. <laughs>Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. I think I, I I don't need to say this on the mic, but I'm saying this to you. Is it too late to add one to that reservation? No. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll stay. Okay. Yay! Take a bow. Take a bow, Andy. But don't 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 clap until you see what I have in store. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. Are we rolling? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>